your Bibles, go to 2 John. Book of 2 John. Thank you, Faith and Alan. Children, you are dismissed. The book of 2 John. Someone once said, as goes the home, so goes the church, and so goes the nation. That's very true. And the book of 1 John, as many of you know if you've been here at all on Sunday mornings as we've gone through this book, it dealt with the issue of false doctrine in the church. And now, as we approach 2 John, John deals with the issue of anti-Christian influencing the family. So, this anti-Christian teaching is what John was addressing as it was infiltrating a home, and uh, this issue was his primary concern because truth was under attack. Now, uh, this issue is present with us today, isn't it? The, today, anti-Christian agenda is being pushed onto families, it's being pushed onto children every single day, and as a result, many people believe the lies that they are told. And John, he was very, very concerned about truth. Well, how concerned about truth was he? He was so concerned about truth that he wrote that word truth 37 times in the book of 1 John. And he writes it five times in the book of 2 John in the first four verses that we're going to see today. And listen, if you are a believer in Christ, you too should be very concerned with truth. But not only concerned with truth. You should act accordingly, because Satan has waged a war against truth from the very beginning of time. We know uh, just a very famous verse in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent approached Eve, what did he say? He said, yea, hath God said. In 2 John verse 7, we'll see that in time, John says that many deceivers are entered into the world, and by the way, those are children of the devil, they are, uh, they are as an antichrist. And it's Satan's behind all of it. And today it's no different. In this war on truth, children are a major target in this war against truth for Satan. And therefore it is crucial for God's people to defend the truth of God. You understand that uh, in our day there is an onslaught of lies and a normalization of sin from social media from television, from movie corporations, from public school education. It's all over the place. Children are being bombarded with lies. And just, uh, just we're con they're being conditioned to uh, accept sin. And we're just nor allowing a normalization of sin to happen. So therefore, we need to defend the truth. Amen. We should be concerned about it. And I want you to know this morning that the best way to defend the truth is to guide your home in the truth. Amen. The message this morning is titled, Guiding Your Home in Truth. And my appeal is for several different people today. My appeal is, first and foremost, for fathers. Listen, fathers, you need to guide your home in the truth. Listen, you need to guide your wife and children. In the truth. You're the head of the home. You need to take responsibility of this and take this very seriously. And I mean 
mean really seriously. But my appeal is also for, for mothers and wives, too. You have a role in this. Man, you need to guide your children in the truth. But it's also for grandparents. It's also for the servant of God. It's also for the general Christian. You need to guide your home and your mind and your life in the truth. Whether you have children or not, you need to guide your home in the truth. So let's look at 2 John, look at verse 1. The Bible says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Let's pray. God, help us this morning. Help us to see the truth of your word. God, only you can convict our hearts and change our ways. I pray you help us to give you the freedom to do that. Help us, Lord, to see the truth of your word and to act accordingly. Help us, Lord, to guide our homes in truth, knowing that where we're at and, and the war that we're in against Prince of the power of the air, Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to be diligent to guide our homes and our minds and our lives in the truth of you. Give me exactly what you want me to say this morning. Help me not to say anything in the flesh, but only from the word. And I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody here that's never trusted fully in you as their personal Savior, that they will make today the day of salvation. Help them to lose their pride and to trust only in you. In your holy name, amen. As we're embarking on a, a, new, a new book, I just want to give you a brief overview so that you can understand where the author is coming from. This epistle that we're looking at is actually the shortest epistle in the New Testament. Third John is the second shortest, and of course we're going to see that uh, later on. But while First John dealt with a general group of believers, Second John is dealing with a specific family in a congregation. Now one of the major themes of 2 John is hospitality. And the reason is, is because believers are supposed to be given to hospitality. Amen. Listen, it's not just the pastor that's supposed to be given to hospitality. You're supposed to be given to hospitality as well. The Bible says in Romans 12 verse 13 that believers are to be literally given to hospitality. Now, these false prophets that were influencing this family, they took advantage of the fact that uh, believers were given the hospitality. They were very hospitable. And they took advantage of the kindness and the hospitality of a particular family. And John addresses that issue in this letter. Look at verse 10. It says in verse 10, If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, which is the doctrine that Christ is God and he is uh, God in the flesh, it says, if they bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your home, neither bid him God speed. So these false teachers, they were looking to take advantage of Christian hospitality, and they were influencing people as they went. 
from house to house uh, with their false doctrine. And by the way, this also happened with Titus. He faced this in Titus chapter 1, and uh, Timothy faced it too in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and it was important, it was an issue, it was a problem, so that's why John is really fiercely speaking against these people. And telling them, do not be hospitable to these people because they're just going to mess your family up. Now the essence of 2 John is very closely related to 1 John. Uh, right along with hospitality, one of the, uh, the three major themes of first, or rather 2 John is truth, which again, we've talked about that already, but also love and obedience. But I want to take a closer look at, at uh, these four verses that uh, we, we read this morning so far. Look at verse 1. It says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. So John says here, the elder. And, and he is speaking there of himself. He's saying this is from the elder. This is from John. Now when he says the elder... He's emphasizing his apostolic authority. He's emphasizing his wisdom. And he's emphasizing his age as he would be anywhere between uh, age 90 to 100 years old. And he had a right to emphasize these things. But then he says, unto the elect lady and her children. Now, th this elect lady and her children, it is an actual mother who is part of the household of faith and her literal children. Now some people take the position of this being a metaphor of the church and its members, but to do that is to ignore the Greek, because the Greek makes it very clear that this is a specific family that John had come to personally know through the ministry. So uh, he pens this letter. And there's really a sense of urgency, and we'll see that in time, and rightfully so. Look at the latter part of Verse 1, it says, Whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. So, John's clearly stating here, anybody that knows the truth, which by the way is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will love this lady and her children just as he does. So John is speaking uh, of people that understand the gospel and they believe the gospel. And we know that love is a characteristic of saving faith. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't love other believers in Christ, you are not saved. And that's not me saying it. That's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. It says, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So listen, if that makes you mad and get mad at the Bible, that's what it says. But if we know the truth, we will love all those that know the truth because they have been brought into the family of God. So, as John makes reference to the truth of Christianity and uh, he, he begins to kind of talk a little bit about the fundamentals of the faith, he then expounds on the importance of the truth of God again in verse 2. Look at verse 2. It says here, For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Now that phrase there, for the truth's sake means in defense of the truth so here we go okay listen who wrote it the elder john who was it written to it was written to the elect lady and her children which was a literal uh, mother in the congregation with children and why did he write it for the truth's sake he wrote it in defense of the truth so as Satan has waged a war against truth, John explains, I am writing this letter in defense of the truth. 
And the reason is, is because truth was under attack, and John was battling Satan, he was battling deception, and he was defending the truth. John understood, I cannot hold back. I cannot just retreat. I cannot just give up. I have to fight and defend the truth. And back in these times, I found this interesting. You know, Roman soldiers, they had uh, these big rectangular shields that were very tall, okay? And uh, they locked together. And back in these times, when they were, these Roman soldiers, when they were in battle, and they faced an overwhelming force of the enemy, what they would do is they would lock their rectangular shields together, and they would create a solid wall of steel, now the purpose of this was so that the arrows and the swords and the shields of the enemy that were coming their way would just beat up against those shields in vain. But listen, the strategy only worked if there was no breach in the wall. It only worked if each soldier stood in defense and stood firm in defense of their men. If there was one man that didn't hold firm, they could get in, and they could do great damage. And likewise, church, listen, this elect lady and John had to stand fast in their portion of the battlefield so that the enemy, Satan, could not come in. And you, as a Christian, you must also firmly hold on to the truth. Amen. But many Christians have carelessly, listen, carelessly allowed a breach in the wall of their portion of the battlefield. But the truth must be defended, especially in the church and especially in your family. So consider this morning, do you aggressively defend the truth? Look again at verse 2. For the truth's sake, I'm writing this in defense of the truth, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. You know, this is encouraging because those that are saved have the truth of God dwelling in them and it will never depart. You need another example of eternal security? There you go. Not even Satan can uproot the truth in the heart of a true Christian. Look at verse 3. It says, Grace be with you, Mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this verse too much because we're really going to get to the heart of the message. But it is very, very, very important that I give you what I'm about to give you this morning. It says, grace be with you, mercy and peace. Now, if we know God... We know that He is rich in grace. We know that He is rich in mercy. But we also know that His truth, the truth of the gospel, brings us peace. Amen. Paul talked about peace this morning. I'm going to be talking about peace this afternoon. I think God maybe wants some people in here to have some peace. But notice in our text where, the, where peace comes from. Look again in verse 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 1. The Bible says, 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, do you have peace with God this morning? The only way that we can have peace with God is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, look, I know somebody, maybe multiple people need to hear this. It's not by works, it's by grace. It's not of myself, it's of the Savior. It's not of my power, but the power of the cross. And the majority of people, and, and I would say many people even sitting in Baptist churches this morning, do not have peace with God. And if you don't, then you need to get it. And the way that we get peace with God is to acknowledge, for one, that God is holy. We sang about it already this morning. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Man, look, God, He is totally without sin. And He can have no part in sin. But man, mankind, though, we, we are full of sin. We are no good. We are corrupt. We're full of sin. You say, Pastor, that's awful mean of you. Well, the Bible says our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, okay? Above all things, who can know it? We're no good. We're sinful people. So, because God's holy, He can have no part in sin. And because man is sinful, we know that for this cause we are separated from God. And therefore we are bound to face His wrath in hell. Revelation 21 says, All believers shall have their part in the lake of fire. You understand? The reason for that is because sin must be punished, and it must be punished by death. As Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. But listen, that's where our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, comes in. It's like, oh, this is bad news. Yes, it is bad news, but thank God there's good news. He was fully God and fully man. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life and He was crucified to pay the penalty for our sins. And if we just trust in Him and call upon Him, thank God there's no condemnation. You must repent and believe the gospel. You must agree with God that you are sinful and, and, and you need to confess your sins to Him and pursue Christ. And again, I, I have no doubt in my mind this morning that there are some people that you have not done that. So I need to ask you this question. What is stopping you from trusting in Christ this morning? And by the way, I didn't say trusting in a prayer. What's stopping you from trusting in Christ this morning? God calls all men to salvation. And as you sit here this morning, if you're not saved, He is calling you to salvation right now as you sit there lost in your sin. But whatever is stopping you from trusting in Christ, it's not worth holding on to. You need to empty yourself of pride and come to Christ. And I, I just, you know, I'll say this. If you're here and you think you're saved but you're not sure, don't be so prideful that you end up in hell. Trust Christ this morning. It's not worth being wrong forever. But if you have trusted in Christ, and you are born again, just as the elect lady in our text, you need to do everything that you can to guide your home in the truth of God. Let's go back to Second John. 
Look at 2 John. In the verse we're about to read, John expresses jubilance for what he found in the lives of some of the uh, children of this elect lady. Look at verse 4. It says, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. That, that Those two words, rejoiced greatly, that means exceedingly glad. I, he said, I am exceedingly glad. Why was John exceedingly glad? Because he found that some of these ladies' children were walking or conducting themselves, living out the gospel truth. You ever find, lose something and then you find it and then you're like, oh man, I'm so glad. Well, that's what happened with John here. He went uh, to this place and he saw, man, these, these, this lady's children, they are walking in truth and I'm just so glad. I'm exceedingly glad. And it's so true that Families that are living out the truth of God are very often the joy of a local church, and they're very often the joy of a pastor. Let's look at Third John. Look at uh, Third John. Look at verse four. John says in Third John verse four, he says, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth." Man, sometimes you hear things from about people and things from people, and uh, you're you're not very joyful about it. But you want to bring joy to your pastor. Walk in truth. And now, while our text in 2 John, it speaks of children in a particular family, the children that John speaks of here are believers as he's leading his congregation. Notice in that verse there, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, we remember in 1 John how often he said, little children this, little children that. He's talking about people that were in his congregation. But you need to know this morning that while it is the joy of a pastor and the joy of a church to see families and children and people in general living out the truth of God, parents, this is for you, you play the largest role when it comes to guiding your home in truth. Now the reason that this elect lady and her children... We're living out the truth. And I, and I would say this. The reason that this elect lady had children that were living out the truth is because she defended the truth and she guided her home in the truth, which is why John continued uh, to just implore her to keep doing it. Parents, ask yourself this question. Ten years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, will you find that your children are walking in the truth of the gospel? Now, you may be here this morning, and you may say, well, you know, I don't really know the answer to that. And you know what? You would be correct. You don't know the answer to that. You could do everything right and still have a child that departs from the faith. But I'll tell you what, the way that most Christian parents are raising their kids today, they make the likelihood of the answer to that question being yes, very, very low. So how do we guide our children in truth? How do we give them the best shot possible to live out the gospel when they get out on their own so that we too, like John, can rejoice? Well, I want to give you a hint before I answer that question. It is not going to happen by bringing them to church twice a week. It is not going to happen by you sitting down and reading Luke chapter 2 on Christmas morning. 
It's not going to happen by you praying for 30 seconds before your meal every day. It's not even going to happen by you forcing them to sit up straight and listen to me preach week in and week out. And I say that because this. Many parents are depending on those alone to bring their child to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it is not enough. And the truth is, church, listen, no pastor and no Sunday school teacher can do for your child on Sunday what you can do for your child every single day. And you need to stop leaving it up to me and the Sunday school teacher and the junior church teacher to teach your children about the things of God. Yes, church is important, but I can't be the only one. There's a statistic that shows that 51% of teenagers identify as Christians, which is a good thing to identify as, I suppose. But only 8% display beliefs and behaviors that are consistent with being committed to their faith. And I believe it. But remember, where there is faith, there is fruit. And I hate to say it, but the reality is that most Christian parents, they do little to nothing to guide their children in truth, and the results will be devastating. And I fear that many believing parents have found, or one day will find, that not only are their children not even walking in the ways of God, but many are also going to find that their children were never truly converted to begin with, and they're going to be shocked. But the thing is, they'll be held accountable because they did not use the influence that they had as they should because most are not bringing them up in the nurture and admonition or the instruction of the Lord and therefore they are failing to guide their family in truth. And by default, they are ignorantly allowing Satan to guide their children in lies. They are willfully giving their children over to Satan and over to hell. They're literally saying, here you go, Satan. Have my child. You're going to say, man, this is harsh. No, this is true. We need to hear this. And by the way, let me just tell you this. I need to hear this. I'm not exempt from what I'm saying this morning. Now, I am fully aware that we cannot control the eternal destination of our children, but we can surely influence it. In regards to the lost souls of men, Stephen Lawson once said, I want them to have to walk over me in order to get into hell. You know, that's one of the reasons why we are going door to door. That's one of the reasons why we are having Open House Sunday. That's one of the reasons why we have Vacation Bible School. That's one of the reasons why we want the community to know that we're here and we give them the gospel in the form of a written form, because I want people in our community to have to ignore us in order to not know the gospel. But listen, I will say with even more urgency and with even more passion that while I cannot force faith in Christ in the heart of my children, they are going to have to walk over me in order to get into hell. 
And the reason is because I am going to passionately declare the truth of Christ to them. I am consistently going to sound the horn of the gospel in their ear. I am going to frequently direct them to the path that leads to everlasting life. Listen, parents, your number one objective as a parent cannot be to give your child every little thing that you never had growing up. It cannot be to be their best friend. It cannot be for you to be popular with them. Your number one objective has to be for them to know God. That's it. But guiding your children in truth so that one day they live for God, it doesn't just happen. It's something that you need to be intentional about. But how? How do we guide our homes in truth? How do we influence other people with truth? How do we defend the truth in this evil day? And again, I want you to understand this morning, this is not just for parents. So if you're like, well, you know, I don't have any kids or uh, I have kids out of the house. I can sit back and relax. No, you need to listen. This is for you as well. But how do we influence our homes and guide our homes in truth? The answers are found, of course, in Scripture and in particular in the upbringing of Timothy. Now, again, I want you to know that your pastor is not perfect in this. The Lord has greatly convicted me over the last month or so of how well I am guiding my family in truth, so much so that I made changes. And you know, we ought to do that. If we see something that's wrong, we need to make some changes. And when you hear what you're going to hear this morning, you see what you're going to see from the Bible this morning, I think that a lot of you will say, yeah, you know, I think I need to make some changes. But there are two ways that we best guide our homes in truth. And I'm just going to briefly say them and then we'll dig into them. First, we live the truth ourselves. Secondly, we teach the truth. And by the way, to do this takes diligence. To do this takes me, it's you being intentional about it. So first, let's see, living out the truth ourselves. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 5. Paul is writing here to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now it's clear that the elect lady in our text was living out her faith and the same could be said of Lois and Eunice, the grandmother and the mother of Timothy. Now while Timothy was a young preacher and he was being mentored by Paul, Paul gives credit to these two women as they played a major role in Timothy coming to the faith. And notice there it says, unfeigned faith. Listen, that phrase, unfeigned faith, it means undisguised and sincere. So Timothy... He had real, genuine faith, and he first saw it, according to Scripture, he first saw it with his mother and grandmother. So Timothy, he had a, he had a real, genuine faith that he first saw with them. So uh, Timothy saw in his mother and his grandmother an unhypocritical faith that was not in act, and it was not just in appearance. In other words, listen, Eunice and Lois did not act one way at church and the opposite way at home. 
listen for a minute, okay? Don't say anything for a moment. Listen to what I'm going to say. They did not put on their mask of Christianity as they walked out the door and then take it off when they got back home. When Timothy saw these ladies, Eunice and Lois, out and about in front of other people, when they were at the marketplace, when they were uh, in their local assembly, when they were talking with their friends and talking to other people, it was not as though he was watching this Broadway show unfold before his eyes. They were real. They had unfeigned faith. And they lived it out in the home. And they lived it out in public. And listen, this is how you instill faith in your children and in your grandchildren. You do so by, guide, by guiding their home in truth and by having real faith and living it out behind closed doors. Amen. One pastor once said this, if you want to mess up the minds of your children, here's a guaranteed way to do it. Rear them in an environment of external religion where performance is more important than reality. Fake your faith. Sneak around and pretend your spirituality. Train your children to do the same. Embrace a long list of do's and don'ts and publicly but hypocritically practice them privately. Yet never own up to the fact that it is hypocrisy. Act one way, live another, and you can count on it. Emotional and spiritual damage will occur. And I had this all prepared yesterday. And guess what? When I went out... Uh, door hanging, a lady came out of the door after I put a door hanging on her door and we got talking and she uh, said, yep, I used to grow up in a Baptist church but I don't believe in church anymore. I don't go to church and the reason is my father acted one way at church and another way at home. And, and listen, again, it's not just children. You know, a lot of people that are saved, they have unsaved husbands, they have unsaved wives, and, and they wonder why. Well, it might be because you are fake. It might be because in the home, you don't act like a Christian. You don't show grace. You go home and you talk about people at church. You go home and you talk about the pastor. You go home and you talk about everybody else as if you're wicked and you're lost. That might, have a, 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 that might be a reason. And by the way, this is also how you impact people at work, too. By having a real, genuine, sincere faith, and you live it out, even when it's just you and another person. But the second and final way that we can guide our homes in truth that we find in the upbringing of Timothy, is not only living out the truth ourselves, but secondly, teaching the truth. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 14. It says, But continue in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice a few key phrases there. Continue in what you have learned. Past tense. Also, from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Timothy learned the Scriptures from a child. Timothy's mother and grandmother 
were intentional about teaching him the truth of Scripture. He was not just left to himself in the hopes, uh, oh, I hope that one day he'll be interested in the things of God. No, he was taught. Look again at the end of verse 14. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So no doubt, these two women, they did what was instructed in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's go there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you, don't hear, if you have not heard anything from the message yet, I want you to hear this. Listen closely. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. The Bible says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thy eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. So look, daily, these Israelites, they were instructed to daily teach their children the word of God diligently. It was to be spoken of often. It was to be posted everywhere and to be in front of them and all over the place. Now I want to read you something. And I want you just to have a, make a comparison between what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, what we see with these people and what we have going on today. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Puritans. Now, before I get into that, I want you to know I don't agree with everything that the Puritans did or how they conducted themselves, but I tell you what, they got this right. Okay, so listen close. It says, Puritan families were naturally large, and parents were expected to do everything possible to see that their children conformed to biblical norms and precepts, especially the commandment to obey their parents. That would be a good starting point in America. Amen. Amen. It says this, they believed in family worship. Puritans believe that a family is an extension of the church. They viewed the family as a small church, as the backbone of the church, of the local assembly. Every man, listen fathers, every man in the family had the responsibility to pastor his wife and children. Jonathan Edwards, who drank deeply from the Puritan wells, said every family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ in holy influence and governed by his rules. Family worship was regarded as a vital daily duty and took place in the morning and evening. The fathers in the home had the responsibility of leading family worship and teaching their children. George Whitfield, who also fed on Puritan works, once said a man ought to look upon himself as obliged to act in three capacities. As a prophet to instruct the family, as a priest to pray for and with his family, and as a king to govern, direct, and provide for his family. The solitary objective for the family was to progress in the beauty of the Lord through instruction in the Bible. Puritans attended church with their children, and no child was allowed to miss a single service. Every church service was seen as an important facet of Puritan life. In other words, the children didn't dictate whether or not we go to church. The parents did. Authority and obedience describe the relationship between parents and their children. As far as discipleship of a child goes, the Puritans considered the home as a primary place of learning the Bible. They also believed that it was a parent's responsibility to disciple and teach their children about faith. Child rearing for the Puritans was not theoretical but theological. The teaching of scripture to the children while they were young was emphasized. So, listen. Oh, how far we have fallen today. 
Today, most Christian parents are relying on the preaching and teaching of the church for one or two hours a week to combat the constant anti-Christian agenda that their children face hours and hours and hours each day. Our culture is weaponized to destroy children from before they're even born. And then when they are, they are born, if they're blessed enough to make it that far, oftentimes... They are still weaponized to, do, to just be destroyed. And all the while, the majority of Christian parents sit back and they do nothing to stop it. Here's what happens a lot of times with Christian, with, uh, Christian kids or, or uh, children of Christian parents, especially those that go to public school, but uh, even those that go to Christian school. Many Christians, they, they go to school. They get influenced by worldly and satanic influences all day without having hardly a good spiritual thought. Then they come home and they talk to mom and dad for a few minutes, if that. And then they go to their room with their cell phone and their tablet and their television and they continue to be influenced by wickedness. And then, in a lot of cases, years later, when the, these kids, they depart from the faith, and they live for themselves, and they don't want anything to do with God, and they don't want to go to church, and they never read their Bible, uh, their parents literally think, well, what happened? What happened? I took them to church every week. I prayed for them every single day. I did my best. No, you didn't. No, you did not. Because if you did and are doing your best, you would have done what Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells you to do. You'd be having family devotions if you were doing your best. You would be teaching your kids the things of God. You would be praying with them. You would not be leaving them to themselves and allow corruption to fill their minds for hours a day in their room. And by the way, you have no idea what's going on in, in their room. You have no idea what they're filling their mind with if you're allowing them to have free reign with this thing. So here's the question. Do you care about the faith of your children enough to start acting like it? Do you care about the faith of your grandchildren enough to start acting like it? You know what? If I got up here and I uh, told the church, you know what, church? I've decided that I'm going to cancel junior church. I'm going to stop Wednesday night Bible time. I'm going to cancel children's Sunday school. Most of you would think something is wrong with me. Some of you would even be after my head. And some of you would even accuse your pastor of hating children. But listen to this. But the same people that would be livid if I did such a hateful thing, the majority of them don't even lead their family in devotions three times a week or even once a week for that matter. So tell me this, do you really care? Listen, this must change. Because if it doesn't, we're continuing to wave the white flag of surrender to Satan in this war on truth. And you might say, man, Pastor, you are being just very brash. Listen, I'm doing this because I'm sick of Satan winning the battle. I'm sick of it. We need to start actually defending the truth, parents, grandparents, Christian. We need to start guiding our home in truth. 
One day I want to find that my children are walking in truth. I want to find that my grandkids are walking in truth. I want to find that the people that I influence, I want to be able to say I did everything that I could to see them walking in the truth of God. But again, it's not going to happen by accident. It's something we have to be intentional about. We need to be intentionally living out a real, sincere faith at home. We need to allow our kids to see that mom and dad really care about the things of God by actually giving time and attention to Him. We need to take the time to teach our children the Bible and to pray and to encourage questions and to have biblical discussions and to have meaningful family devotion time. Now again, as I already admitted, I've, not, uh, I've, I've certainly come up short in this area many, many times. But uh, just not too long ago, the other day actually, we had our family devotion time, and I'll tell you what, it was the best one that we ever had. And I'll tell you why. We were in Proverbs, we're just going through the Proverbs, and I'm just explaining to them what this means, because I think Proverbs is a great place for children to learn the Bible. And we got to a place, I think it was around verse 20 in Proverbs chapter 1, where it said the word greed. So one of my kids said, well, what does the word greed mean? And it's great. They're asking questions. So uh, I explained to them what greed is. It's just where you just want to get uh, more, 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 whether it be money or possessions or anything. It's just you want more than what you already have. And it was funny. One of my kids, as I said this, one of my boys, it, it was as if the light bulb came off. And they were like, oh. They literally said, oh. Now I know what greed means. I thought it meant this, but it really means this. So then... After that, I used that opportunity to tell them of examples that as a group, I've noticed where they have allowed greed to be made manifest in their lives. And I wasn't, you know, harsh about it. I, I did it kindly. I did it in love. And I didn't single anybody out. But when I told them that, that child that was going, oh, that's so cool, all of a sudden their demeanor totally changed and they looked like they were about to burst into tears. Because the conviction of God gripped his heart. Because God's word is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I used, we were able to use that time, Sarah and I, to, to tell him, hey, listen, mommy and daddy struggle with greed too. Your brother and sister struggle with greed too. Most people, probably everybody, struggles with greed. But the good news is, Christ can help us. At the end of the devotion time, we always pray for whatever it is we find in the proverb. And I said, I think we know what we need to pray for today. And they said, yeah. That God will help us not be greedy. <laughs> hey, listen. God can use those times. Show your kids that God matters to you even on days that are not Sunday. Amen. I, again, I'm just sick of seeing Satan win this battle over, over our children and we cannot keep rolling over and we cannot just stay asleep any longer. We have to make the effort. And look, I know that it is hard. But battles aren't usually easy, are they? It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take time. It's going to take self-denial. Listen, dads. If you do what the Bible tells us to do and you lead your family in family worship and you lead like God wants you to lead, it's going to mean that you have less time staring at your phone. 
It's going to mean that you have less time watching television. It's going to mean that you have less time being entertained and, and relaxing. But the faith of your children is more than worth the effort and the sacrifice. Now, your children will either one day, and your grandchildren will either one day walk in the truth of God, or they will walk in accordance to the prince of the power of the air, and you have a say because you have influence. So will one day you find that your children are walking in truth? If you do, like John, you'll be able to rejoice greatly. But if you find them walking in the other direction, you're going to have remorse. And if you're not doing what you should be doing, you're going to have regret. Now, maybe you're here this morning and your kids are out of the house and you're like, man, I, I realize I have not guided my home in truth like I should. What am I supposed to do? Start influencing them for Christ now. Fight for their faith like never before now. Fight for the faith of your grandchildren with everything that you have now. Defend the truth and guide in truth now and just live it out and teach it uh, to those around you and be intentional with your faith now. Don't be all uh, hung up in the past and say, oh, woe is me. No, no. Start doing the right thing now. You can't change the past, but you can certainly change the course of the future. The minds and souls of our children and grandchildren and those in the circle of influence are in jeopardy. So to be obedient to God in this area, in all areas of the Christian faith, I want you to know it is a matter of will and choice. What will you choose? Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.